0: Right. Let's get into the Word this morning, Revelation chapter number 10. And If we can, let's try to, to, to uh, not move around this morning unless it's an absolute emergency. Let's give our attention to the preaching of God's Word. I've entitled this morning's message, Jesus Only. So let's give Jesus our attention this morning. And if we can, I, uh, th- this is a, a, a message that's tucked away. We're not talking about doom and gloom and plagues and trumpets and seals and horrors. Uh, We're going to talk about Jesus this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're going through the book of Revelation and then preaching through the book of Revelation. Uh, We do expository preaching and we go verse by verse, line by line where necessary, word by word if we have to. And we're studying that portion of scripture uh, in the book of Revelation called the tribulation period. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 21 that there's coming a time of trouble unlike this world has ever seen and will never see again. And that period of time will be the great tribulation. It's a period of just seven years. Seven years. And it will begin after the rapture of the church. The church will be taken out at the rapture. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I'm assuming the rapture is going to take place in my lifetime, so I believe the next verse applies to me. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and all of those who have died before us, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's coming, and praise God, the church is going to be spared from the tribulation period. That's a great place to insert an amen right there. I, we don't ask for amens, but that's a great place to say amen. We will not have to go through the tribulation period. But history will not come to a conclusion at that time with the rapture. History is going to continue on right here on planet Earth. And planet Earth winter time period seven years, known as the tribulation, and then going to the great tribulation period. Now... Um, it's delineated, and I don't want to get too complicated right at the beginning of my message and lose you, but I've just got to try to set the stage for you. Uh, there was a scroll that was opened. There were seven seals in that scroll, or seven books that we, we have already looked at. One by one, those seals are broken. The scroll is unrolled. The horrors of that tribulation are revealed, and we've discussed that over the past several months. And we've examined uh, the, the, those seven seals and, and multiple messages heretofore. And we learned that with the opening of the seventh seal, we now have seven trumpets. And, uh, and the trumpets sound and the horrors intensify. It's going to be a horrible time here on earth. And we've been studying the sounding of the seven trumpets. And you're now updated in our series. We're not going to re-preach all those uh, messages. And if you haven't heard them, you can certainly find them online. Now we've come to the last of these trumpets, but the seventh trumpet has not yet sounded. And we come to what I call a parenthetical passage. It takes us to our text here in Revelation chapter 10. Would you follow along? I'm going to quickly read the first six verses of Revelation 10. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he sat his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, I, there is John, and John was about to write. And John heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and he sware by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that there are therein and the sea and the things that are therein and that there should be no that there should be time no longer. Father, I ask for your blessing. I ask for your help. I love you. Thank you for this opportunity to open your precious word. May we be encouraged this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this morning's message simply this, Jesus only. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, he's more than a man. He's even more than a great man. His Almighty. Uh, the Islamic faith calls him a prophet, but I submit to you, he's more than a prophet. The liberals teach that he was a philosopher or a, a teacher or an example. Who is Jesus Christ? May I just tell you, he's the mighty God. Period. And I would say to you that the rich man is poor and the mighty man is weak and the educated man is a fool if he does not know Jesus Christ. No one can claim to be truly educated who who is ignorant of Jesus Christ. We're going to find this morning Jesus Christ here in this 10th chapter of the book of Revelation. And we've been studying the horrors, the absolute judgments that's going to be poured out. And then we come to chapter 10, and it's like a calm in the middle of the storm. We're reminded of the grace and the power of God. And what we find here in the 10th chapter of the book of the Revelation is a glorious picture of our Lord and Savior, the mighty God, the Lord, Jesus Christ. And so let's take a look and mine out several thoughts here this morning. Look with me there at verse number 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. Question, who is this mighty angel? I believe that this mighty angel is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I didn't know that Jesus is described in the Bible as an angel. Well, yes. Remember that the New Testament had not been written. Uh, John is in the process on the Isle of Patmos writing a a portion of the New Testament. Uh, It was being compiled. It was in the process of being written. But John did have the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, Jesus is called an angel. For example, in Genesis chapter 25, and verse number 15, uh, and the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. Now that was Jesus. He was called an angel of the Lord. Or again in Isaiah 63, in verse number 9, in all their affliction, that is the affliction of God's people, he himself, God, was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. Jesus is called the angel of Jehovah's presence. We call these Old Testament appearances of Jesus Christ theophanies. They're a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Well, John, he's writing, and he sees this appearance. And there are lessons I want you to learn from these few verses here. Here's lesson number one in this, and this should encourage your soul this morning. I find that Jesus is majestic. Jesus is majestic there in verse number one. John sees that mighty angel come down from heaven. The Bible says he is clothed with a cloud. I suggest to you that this verse describes the same Jesus that we saw back in Revelation chapter number 1. We see his glory. He is clothed with a cloud. Now what glory is he talking about? I I say to you he's talking about the glory cloud. The Shekinah glory of God. The cloud is the garment of his divine presence that we see back in Revelation chapter Chapter 1 and verse number 7. And speaking of the second coming of Jesus, it says, Behold, he cometh with the cloud. Now, that's not talking about the surus clouds or the uh, cumulus clouds uh, that are in the sky. He's talking about the glory clouds. Round about him is the Shekinah glory of God. Do you remember that story in the Old Testament? It's a great story. When God led the nation of Israel out into the wilderness... Oh, those Israelites being so grateful for being liberated from their Egyptian taskmasters. What they did is they complained. There was no food. There was no water. They're in the wilderness. But what we do learn is that he led them with a glory cloud. The Bible says there was a pillar of fire by night. And there was a cloud in the daytime, and that cloud and that fire is the Shekinah glory of God. May I just tell you, no matter where you are in the wilderness... My God knows the way through the wilderness. God and, and led the nation of Israel, people some two to four million people, through the wilderness with a cloud. Well, when the Lord Jesus Christ, another story was on the Mount of Transfiguration... Do you remember that story? Peter, he wanted to build a tabernacle because he saw Jesus in all of his glory. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 5 that a cloud came down. It encircled them, engulfed them, and a voice from heaven saying, this, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. What was the lesson there about the glory cloud? Now it is this, that worship is not a place. Worship is a person. And that person is Jesus only. And friend, you can worship Jesus anywhere. I wonder when's the last time You worshiped him. And so the cloud here speaks of his glory, and you see his glory is clothed with a cloud. Back in Revelation chapter 10 and verse number 1, it speaks of a rainbow that was upon his head. What does a rainbow speak of in verse number 1? It speaks of our covenant-keeping Savior. God hung a rainbow in the sky after the flood to remind people of his covenant, to remind people of his grace. Thank God that we have a God who will never... No, never break his word. Can you imagine? Just think about Noah for a moment. Imagine that he's in that ark. He's been in that ark for month after month after month. Shut up in the ark. And finally that ark stops moving in the waters and it settles on land. Oh, it's still a long time before that they can get out. But the door is open. Noah comes out. And you know what he sees? He sees ruin. He sees the slime of creation that has been utterly destroyed by the great flood. But then Moses, he looks up in the sky. And he sees how God has hung this rainbow like a scarf on on top of all those clouds as a reminder of his grace. Oh, in that glorious rainbow there was red. And there was orange, and there was green, and there was yellow, and there was blue, and indigo, and there was violet. And here, as if God was saying directly to Noah, this is a symbol of my promise. This, Noah, is my covenant to you. This is my peace after the storm. Oh, we can see How majestic Jesus is in the cloud in His glory. We can see how majestic Jesus is in the rainbow and His grace that is available to all of us. Back in verse number 1, the Bible says His face was as it were the sun. We see His strength. We see His majestic strength. Here in the book of Revelation, the sun is a symbol of strength. In Revelation 1 and verse 16, the word of God says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Think of the incredible power in the very face of the sun that hangs in our solar system. Well, friend, that speaks of radiant energy or the strength of our great God. Here he is with that Shekinah glory surrounding him. Here he is. He's crowned with a rainbow which speaks of his covenant. And here in his face is radiant in its strength. And that speaks, my friend, of the dear strength of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For years, men used to think that the earth was the center of our solar system. And so the astronomers would figure everything with that in mind. And the problem was, is that according to all of their observations, nothing would ever come together. Then there was this man by the name of Copernicus. You've heard of him, I hope, in school. Copernicus studied and he came to the truth that the earth is not the center of our solar system and that the sun does not revolve around earth and that the earth and the other planets are actually in orbit around the sun. And when Copernicus came up with this wonderful truth, then all the math suddenly fell into place. S-U-N was the center. My friend, when I think of the spiritual significance of the son, S-O-N, he must be the center of our life. It is That is when we put him in the center of our life. That's when things that have never fallen in place before suddenly make sense and will fall into place. Jesus is the one who holds everything together by his strength. Oh, look with me back in verse uh, number one again. And then they look again at verse number 1 and we see His holiness. The Bible says His feet as pillars of fire. Back in chapter 1 and verse 15, we the Lord Jesus Christ, His feet are like brass as they burn with fire. The picture is this. Our Lord Jesus Christ is going forth in His holiness to judge this earth. Oh, fire consumes, fire spreads, fire cleanses, and all of this is an accurate picture of Jesus Christ. I ask you, don't we have a wonderful Savior? Now, friend, I want to tell you, as I studied this passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 10, as I, as I just read and, and try to uh, understand Revelation with a greater confidence, you know what has happened to me is I've come to appreciate, to adore, to, to fear, respect and in the right sense of the word, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Really, it is Jesus alone. Jesus only. I'm convinced that what the church needs and what we individually need more uh, is to learn how to totally worship Jesus. And when I say that, the logical question would be, then, Pastor, what is worship? Worship is all that I am, responding to all that He is. Do you worship Him? I hope that today, as you study the book of Revelation, that you'll just not get facts and figures today and spout those off this coming week, but, but that you'll see that this book is about Jesus only. Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus only. Well, we continue to describe what's going on. We're talking about the things that are to come. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. And our first lesson this morning is this. Jesus is majestic. Look with me back in Revelation chapter 2 and we see this. Jesus is masterful. Jesus is masterful. He is masterful in his power. And verse number 2, it says, And he had in his hand a little book, and it was open. Now, when he, it was first given to him, we have to re- be reminded, it was sealed. But now, he's opened all of the seals and he set his right foot upon the sea. And he set his left foot Upon the land and the breaking of these seals of this little book and the opening of the book, they show how Jesus Christ is coming to judge the earth and to take his purchased possession uh, that is his. It was his by creation. It is his by Calvary and it will be his by conquest. He's broken the seals. We've already seen those seven seals that are open. And so we see now this mighty angel, this mighty angel. He has one foot in the ocean, one foot upon, uh, upon land, and in his hand is the title deed, and all the seals have been broken. The entire scroll has been opened. What in the world is he talking about? My friend, listen this morning. He's talking about the mastery of of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in Bible times, and even in history, when there was a conqueror, he would go and he would take a land and he would take a continent. When he would conquer that land, there's often pictures of the conqueror standing with one foot in the water, one foot on land, his hand raised to the sky showing a symbol that he has prevailed. My friend, there's coming a day When Jesus is going to have one foot in the water, one foot on land, he's going to raise the book, and he is going to conquer this world. What it means is this. Jesus is coming back to conquer this world. It's been and will be subdued. It's just as God told Joshua in the book of Joshua, chapter number 1 and verse number 3, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon... That have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. It's going to be quite a day when Jesus puts his foot upon the land and upon the sea. What does it symbolize? It symbolizes that every drop of water and every grain of sand belongs to Jesus Christ. It is all his because it is Jesus only. People are asking, and rightfully so, what is this world coming to? I don't even like to watch any news right now. How many of you understand that? It's disgusting. It's wicked. It's perverse. There's lies upon lies upon lies. What is this world coming to? May I just tell you in the grander picture, it's coming to Jesus. That's where this world's coming. It's coming to Jesus. It's coming to Jesus only. It was made by him, for him, and it is coming back to him. Colossians 1 and verse 16 states this, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, if His Majesty causes my total worship, then his mastery ought to cause my total surrender. I mean, he is Lord. Every knee should bow to him, and every tongue shall confess that He's the king of kings and lord of Lords, because listen, my friend, it is Jesus only. In lesson number one, we learned that Jesus is majestic. In lesson number two, we learned that Jesus is masterful. We'll take a few more minutes to discuss lesson number three. In lesson number three, we learned this. Jesus is mysterious. Jesus is mysterious. We'll not reread verses three through seven, but allow me to explain them. The seals have been opened. The trumpets. When do the trumpets happen? The trumpets happened with the... Opening of the seventh seal so so that we're not confused. There's seven seals with the sounding opening of the seventh seal. We now have seven trumpets. We've looked at those first trumpets already. I want you to notice several things about this mysterious message about Jesus. It'd be easy to read verses three, four, five, six and seven and say, I have no idea what it's talking about. But Just because it's mysterious to us does not mean it's mysterious to Jesus. Number one, what I see here, that it is a startling, message. It is a startling message. Look again at verse number three. And he cried with a loud voice. Who is this with a loud voice? It's the mighty angel. It's the angel of God's presence. It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The word angel literally means this, messenger. It doesn't depict someone with wings, but someone who speaks for God. Can you imagine Jesus speaking, as the Bible says, with the roar of a lion? We often In our Bible study, we see Jesus depicted as a sacrificial lamb. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, is not only the lamb of God. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 5, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold! The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, to loose the seven seals thereof. He has opened the book, and in his right hand, uh, the book is open. The lion has prevailed, and the Bible says, Now the lion roars. A lion roars when he is about to pounce on his prey. In Joel 3, in verse number 16, the word of God says, The Lord also shall roar out Of Zion. When Jesus was crucified, we remember this, and this is what most of us remember about Jesus. As a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. My friend, in Revelation, the script is going to be flipped. One of these days, the lion will roar. And Jesus said, this is your day. My day is not yet come. But there's coming a startling message when the the lion will roar. I see in this passage, it's also a sealed message. When I look at this mysterious message and Jesus is mysterious, it's a sealed message. As we previously read in our uh, text, there are now seven thunders. Now, thunder... Let's understand what thunder means. Thunder warns us there is a storm about to happen. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. I personally find this verse fascinating. I've read it. I've studied it. I've uh, read what many commentators have written about this. I have a whole bunch of commentaries about Revelation. It's interesting, this verse. Here's what I've discovered. John's sitting there. He has seen the seven thunders. It has been revealed to him what these seven thunders are all about. So, just like he's written the first nine chapters, he's about to pen the seven destructive amazingly difficult thunders, judgments, that's going to be poured out on this earth. And God says to John, John, put your pen down. Don't write what you've said. Now, what does that tell me? It tells me that in the ways of God, the mysteries of God, some things are too wonderful for explanations, but some things are too terrible for a description. What John saw is too terrible for us to know about. God said, just don't write it. Just seal it up. It's amazing how many people try to explain these seven thunders. I've read some hogwash. I don't know what that even means. But I'll say I've read some junk about what, profe- what self-professed uh, Bible scholars ha- have read about this. Many Bible scholars have tried to explain what is not supposed to be explained. How can we make up something when God of heaven said this, John, put your pen down, do not write about what you just saw. Will Rogers, the philosopher from Oklahoma, he said this, people don't show their ignorance by knowing so much as they do by knowing so much they ain't so. Uh, here, some people try to explain what these seven thunders are. And God said this for his, for his for His reasons that I can't explain this morning. He said, John, seal them up. There are some things that you will not understand until it comes to pass. And I, I think, is there any other passage of Scripture that, that, that demonstrates what John's going through. Let me share with you in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, another prophetic book, um, uh, Daniel was privy to some things that are going to happen in the future, and Daniel says this, and I heard, but I understood not. And and, and what Daniel's saying is, I don't understand what I just saw. Have you ever been that way? Have you ever picked up the Bible and said, Lord, I, I, I read your word today, I don't understand what I just read. How many of you have ever done that? All right. The rest of you don't read the Bible. They didn't raise your hand. All right. (laughs) Uh, Try to read it today. It's a good book. Uh, I think all of us have come to that point, like Daniel, that we've read something, we've seen something. And we don't understand. Well, back in Daniel chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, there's this dialogue between God and Daniel. And he said, I heard, but understood not. Then said I, oh, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? What am I supposed to do with what I just saw? What am I supposed to do with what I don't understand? And God said to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 9, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and they're sealed till the time of the end. There are some things in prophecy that we'll never understand until they actually take place. There are certain things in the book of Revelation and in the book of uh, of Daniel and the book uh, uh, of Jeremiah that we're not meant to understand, and so I'm not going to try to explain it away. Uh, People ask, Questions about the resurrection body. What's our resurrection, uh, resurrected body going to look like? Some of you have a little baby in heaven. What's your baby going to look like when you meet him or her? Will it be a man or will it be a baby? Will it be this or will it be that? I don't know. And here's the thing you don't know either. You see, uh, uh, you see, it doth not yet appear what we shall be like, the Bible says. God said to Daniel, seal it up. Uh, that's for the, for the end of time. And then God says to John, uh, you, you were privileged to see seven thunders. And here's what I know is that whatever those seven thunders are, it's so horrible. It's so horrific that John was not given permission to write about it. My friend, you don't want to live through the tribulation period. All that we have already heard is horrific. But there's seven judgments, trials, plagues, whatever the th- seven thunders are. It's going to be so horrific that John was told by God. John, put your pen down. The secrets belong to me alone, and I don't want you to write about it. May I just remind us that God's above us. God is beyond us. His ways and his thoughts and his plans, and and you can be certain that God knows the future. And by the way, isn't it interesting how the things that's already been predicted in Scripture have already happened? Because God has already told us about that. Here's a message that it was a sealed message. Number three, it's a sure message. Look again about this mysterious message. It's a sure message in verse number 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. And he sweared by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven. God the Son swears by God the Father that time should be no more. Actually, he swears by himself because Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13 says, For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Here, the Lord Jesus, he lifts his hand and he says in a solemn oath these words, Time shall be no longer. He swears by himself because he can swear by no greater. And as God told Abraham, uh, by my very existence, these things are going to come to pass. That's the reason that we have a sure word of prophecy. That's why this book in your lap is so important. Oh, may I just tell you this message, it's a startling message. It's a sealed message. It's a message that is mysterious to us, but God understands what happened. But number four, I can see this. It's a solemn message. It's a solemn message. What is the message? In a sense, An enigma, in a sense, a secret, a secret yet so sure, so startling, like a lion roaring, like thunder booming. What is it? Well, part of it is this, not the sealed part of the seven thunders. We don't know what that is, but we do understand what he has declared, that there should be no time, no longer What does he mean by that? Does he mean that history will cease? Well, no. Where we know that there's another thousand years called a millennium that's going to follow the tribulation period. The word time here is translated. uh, Delay. Delay shall be no longer. There's one more trumpet judgment that's going to come. My friend, mark it down. Here in Revelation chapter 10, we are told the solemn message. When the seven thunders Begin. The delay of Jesus conquering is over. Jesus is physically coming back to this earth. And when that last trumpet judgment sounds, when that final trumpet of these seven trumpets that have come out of these seven seals, and when that seventh trumpet sounds, uh, then the mystery of God is going to be finished. What is the mystery of God? The mystery of God's plans. What are we talking about? What is the mystery of God? Well, let me just rephrase it this way. Pastor, why did my child die? Pastor, why do I have a disease? Pastor, why is my marriage in trouble? Why this? Why that? Why, 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 why? We ask why. Mystery after mystery. May I just tell you there's coming a day when sin's clock will be stopped and the mystery of God will be finished, and delay will be no more. May I just tell you that sin has been on a rampage. Righteousness seems to have suffered. May I just tell you in the very nation of the United States of America, we could say with absolute authority this morning that in our own country, righteousness seems to have suffered. And we see it in the courthouse. We see it in politics. We see it in riots we see it in this sin sick world sin is on the rampage who could have ever imagined that even though the bible says it to be true that people today they will say something that is evil and men And women will call it good. And those things that are good and wholesome and right, men and women are now calling evil. That's the day and age which we live in. It's coming to a conclusion. God has given the inhabitants of the earth time for repentance. But my friend, I tell you, the clock will run out when time stands no more. In other words, the delay is over. The clock has struck the last note. Sin's clock is about to be stopped. Now, don't get the idea that you have time before the rapture. You're here today without Christ. You say, oh, when the rapture takes place, I'll get saved. God's word says, no, you won't. May I say that again? I'll just wait until the rapture takes place, until all of you crazy people are gone. Then I'll believe, and then I will get saved. My friend, the Bible says you will believe a lie, and you will not be saved. I read a story about a man who rushed into a railroad station in a suburb early in the morning. He was almost out of breath. He saw the agent behind the window, and he said, What time does the 8.01 train leave? The agent said, At 8.01. He said, Well, it's 7.59 by my watch. It's 7.57 by the town clock. And it's 8.04 by the station clock. Which one should I go by? The agent behind the window said, you can go by any clock you want, but if you want to go by the 801 clock, it's too late. The train's already gone. Now, friend, please listen. When God's clock stops, that's it. And if you're not on God's train, you're going to be left behind. I implore you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never confessed Him as your Lord, Today is the day of salvation. As I conclude this message, I have to acknowledge there's some sad, sad things, some horrifying things in the book of Revelation. This world is headed for a judgment unlike it has never had. And some some have a parent who lived through World War II, and you heard about food rationing, and you heard about bombs, and you heard about people dying. Oh, that'll be nothing compared to what's happening. The gospel, though, is a savior of life unto life and death unto, the, uh, death, unto death. And we hear today so much about the love of God. And, and, we've, and we've gotten this sickly sweetness. It's almost as if the world has a spiritual diabetes. May I just remind you, God is a God of righteousness and justness and judgment. And you can't read the book of Revelation without seeing that. There is a heaven and there is a hell there is bitterness and there is sweetness. There is death and there is life. There is salvation and there is condemnation. If we preach just one part without preaching the other part, we are being dishonest. If we preach the love of God without the wrath of God, we are being dishonest. If we preach the wrath of God without the love of God, we are being dishonest. And if we take part of the truth and make part of the truth all of the truth, that part of the truth becomes an untruth. My friend, we're to preach all of the Word of God. You're coming here this morning and you expected to have some uh, uh, devotion with a couple stories to make you cry. There are times that we just have to get into the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? The bitter part as well as the sweet part. We're to obey. We're to accept it. We're to assimilate it. We're to disseminate the Word of God. How many of you this morning, when I ask you a question, I hopefully you'll respond this time. How many of you believe the Bible this morning? How many of you believe the Bible? All right. That was pretty much a unanimous, we believe the Bible. So let me ask this, how many of you share the Bible? How many of you share the Bible? How many of you are unashamed of the word of God? How can we be silent in a hell-bound world? The hope of any community is the word of God. The hope of any community is Christians who live by the word of God. The hope of any community is that we be the light and we reflect the love of Jesus. But we are bold enough as a lion to share the word of God. Your children need the word of God. Your grandchildren need the word of God. Your neighbor needs the word of God. Your co-workers need the word of God. Yeah. If the faith that you claim to have and if you have no desire to give it away, then you probably ought to give it up. May I say that again? If the faith that you claim to have and you have no desire to give it away, you have no desire to share it, then you probably ought to give up that faith. You don't have the real thing. If the faith that you have, and you're not willing to share that faith, I probably don't want that faith, and you probably ought to give it up, because you don't have the real faith. You'll never convince me that a person believes the truths in this book. That there's a heaven to gain, there's a hell to shun, there's a judgment to face, there's a death to die, that Jesus hung in agony. And in blood, as it dripped upon the ground, that blood was for you and for me, and that your neighbor and that your friends and those who are without Christ, without hope in this world, and you are sinfully silent. What kind of faith is that? You don't come to church this morning to hear a sermon and think, you've done God a wild favor by attending church. That's not service. May I just tell you your service begins when we say the last amen and you walk out the door. That's when your service begins. Would you pray that God, Christian, would give you a burden for the lost? I implore you, it is Jesus only. Jesus only. Do you love Jesus? If you love him, You'll tell others about him. It's sort of like this. We have eight grandchildren. And we'll talk about our grandchildren. Oftentimes, we completely overlook the fact that we have three children, three married children, and we don't even talk about them. But we talk about the grandchildren. How many of you grandparents understand that? Yeah, some of you got two hands up this morning. (laughs) We love our grandchildren, and we talk about our grandchildren. If you were to go see my wife, she, she, her, her picture folders completely full. There's, she, can't, she has to delete pictures. She has to make choices about what pictures to delete because they're all of her grandchildren. She loves her grandchildren. She'll talk to you about her grandchildren. She loves them. Oh, that we would love Jesus that much, that we'd talk about him. Do you know? That today in Tucson, there's going to be dozens of people who die. From old age, cancer, car wrecks, crime. Today in our city, there'll be dozens of people who die. Across the world, every 1.5 seconds, somebody dies. Do you care? to tell them about Jesus only.